Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, that's Alliance is the host, don't scrap your gender, and everyone who's scrap your apocalypse, welcome to Maggie Talks The Last of Us. Spencer, we are in episode four of The Last of Us. We are coming off the week where I was kind of back in. I was kind of into the show. You were in. I got there we're a little in. bit. We got to episode four. What did you think of episode four, Spencer? I thought it was solid. I thought it was good. There were parts of it I liked better than others. I'd say it may be the weakest episode, but I don't mean that in too negative a way because I thought it was still very well done. If anything, it just kind of felt... Well, it felt very short, and it was, relative to the other episodes. It also felt kind of incomplete, because it felt like we ended midway through the plot thread. This felt like very much a two-parter rather than a standalone episode, so it almost becomes hard to judge it on its own in light of that. But as it is, parts of it I was very much in for, very much enjoyed. Other parts I was more indifferent to. It'll be fun to describe when we get there. Well, uh, I'm back out. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it, I'm it was a good run, no, folks. I, look, it's not... It's it. Here's the thing, folks. It is a well done show. It is absolutely well done. I'm I don't I'm not criticizing the actors. I'm not criticizing the writers. I'm not criticizing anybody who makes the show. It's just not for me. However, there are some things I can pull out of it to enjoy. Why, Spencer? Podcast professional. That's why. I do, I do. But it's not my cup of tea. This show, and I do like that it is sort of yours. Um, my brother, a loyal listener to the podcast, who one of our one of our OGs favorite show I think ever. Like he is absolutely <laughs> loves it. And I love watching, I John love that Murphy. he loves it. Right. I really like watching him enjoy the show. Um, but it's just not for me. So, uh, you are, uh, uh, you have, you said before the podcast started, you've eaten something, you have some calories, mm-hmm, you have mm-hmm, some energy. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to pull me along today, Spencer. I'm here for it, man. I'm here to help. I realized midway, not even midway, about 15 minutes into this episode. Oh, this is, a, this is going to be an apocalypse tropey kind of episode. I remember this part in the video game. Yeah, Lee's out. Yeah, that, that, I can see it coming already. Here's when you know I don't like an episode. I, I usually watch these shows at the gym on Monday morning, and um, I got about 30 minutes through, switched over, and didn't finish until I was doing my notes. So that's a, mm, that's not a good sign. chapter break. Not a good sign. However, we are here, podcast professionals that we are. Thanks, everybody, for listening. The podcast continues to grow. We appreciate that. We appreciate everybody who is subscribing, leaving your comments, leaving your ratings, all of that stuff is juice for us, right? Because like Spencer and I, not we we say we're podcast professionals because we you know have a professional work ethic, but don't get it twisted. We don't do this for a job. We don't get paid anything. That's why you hear no ads. You see no ads anywhere on Magnum Talks anything. Matter of fact, Spencer and I pay to do this. I don't say that as a pity party. I say that to say <laughs> all your feedback is what really motivates us, right? So we, we just love fun. hearing from fans. We just love hearing if you guys are listening, if you're enjoying it. So thanks everybody who takes the time to do that. It really does motivate us and make our day. So I wanted to get that out of the way. If you want to listen to anything else that Spencer and I talk about, and it's a lot of television and movies. We've done an awful lot over the years. You can go to mangumtalks.com, M-A-N-G-U-M talks.com, or go to your favorite podcast platform, type in Mangum Talks. And that's the keywords, metadata, all that stuff, whatever. I've tagged it, Spencer. It's fancy. It'll <laughs> pop up and you can listen to all our stuff. And um, if you are enjoying this podcast and want to continue on with us, we can already announce. This is maybe the earliest we've ever announced our next show, but we can go mm-hmm. ahead and announce it here. Our next show will be Succession, season four. We already have the podcast feed up for that. It's Line of Succession. So if you want to listen to Spencer and I gab about Succession, and I promise to like that show a bit more than I like this one. <laughs> You can go over to Line of Succession and subscribe. Okay, that is the housekeeping, Spencer. Let's get to our podcast here. Our format is I will go through the recap every week heroically. Bang, bang. Shoot them up. Mm. Knock them out every week. 
with the recap. Spencer chimes in, witty anecdotes, factoids, probably a lot of energy and positivity today. If I can, if I'm, if I'm feeling his vibe. I can fake it, yeah. He's going to fake it. Great. And then we get to line of the episode. Spencer, every week, Gamely supplies me uh, nominees for line of the episode, and I select one. Then we'll go to familial moment of the episode. A lot of good nominees for that this episode. And Spencer, lawyer that he is, professor that he is, will take over the class and give us ethical questions of the week, which I usually hack my way through. All right. Well honesty this is honesty is what we bring to this podcast at all times all right let's get going with the recap we start with the previous line this is episode four called please hold to my hand it mm-hmm. start with the previous line there's a little bit of episode three stuff so a little bit of frank and um bill, bill but we really focus on the joel ellie relationship introducing joel's goal of getting to his brother and then we end with ellie with the gun spencer question for you on the music mm. is this the same music as the video game a lot of the time, yes. I'm talking the about intro the song, intro song. Intro song is not. It has a lot of hallmarks of it, but I don't believe it's actually a song from directly from the video game. Wow, that's really a shame because that song, the, the intro music, which they play sometimes through the episode, to me really captures the post-apocalyptic feel of the show. I feel like that that that, that show that ep, the that music does a really good job through the episode of capturing the moment. To me, mm-hmm. I, I've wanted to say something positive there before I get into the negative. Uh, we start with Ellie in a bathroom. She's working out with her gun. She's working it out. She's taking out the chamber. She's pulling the bullet out. She's cocking it. Pew, 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 pew. Looks at it, smiles, loves the gun. And again, that makes sense. We talked about this in a previous episode. It would make sense that Ellie would love guns. She's grown up in the craziest of crazy worlds. Everything is a threat. Everything is violent. Guns equal security for Ellie, right? It, it makes sense that she would love them. And honestly, like... That this is my this is my issue with gun culture in America. It's not that people have guns. That's great. What what concerns me is the people who feel well, like they need a gun to feel safe. That always that always makes me sad. I, I completely brain farted. It, it is indeed the song from the video game. I have no idea why I just said that. You're correct. Good yeah. call. Yeah, it seemed like it would be. So yeah, yeah Ellie's love well, of Ellie's Ellie's love of the gun makes sense in that world, right? And that's always that's sad to me. Like in the same way it's sad in our world when somebody needs a gun to feel safe. Whenever somebody needs a f- gun to feel safe, I always think, oh, something's broken here. Something in our society isn't working for this person not to feel comfortable without a gun. And that's on display really strong here for Ellie. And it, it's a sad, sad part of her growing up and her, her childhood, I think. Yeah, it, it is to the point that how long do you think it is before she names her gun? She's almost, oh, she's almost treating it affectionately. She probably calls it Pew Pew. Pew 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 is a perfect name pew, for that gun. Pew, pew, Wonderfully pew. called. Cannon. It's cannon now. The gun is pew pew. It's pew, the same pew. sound you make when you shoot Nerf guns. Pew pew. Is it the same sound she was making in her head when she uses the gun later? <laughs> I don't know. She seemed a little bit more, a little different mood when she was having to do that. <laughs> Ellie goes outside. Joel is siphoning gas. Ellie asks if he has to do this every hour. He says gas breaks down over time. It's almost water. I didn't really understand any of that. Spencer, can you explain? Uh, ga- gas is indeed something that has actually a set shelf life, that the effectiveness of gas, the octane levels and other things, uh, ex- its explosive potential wears out if it is just left as it is. Uh, so the- gas is one of the f- things that will, <laughs> if you see people like 100 years later in the apocalypse just using gas out of gas stations, it is a mark against realism. Gas actually fades real damn fast. And this-, this was actually pretty pretty damn correct, that at this stage, they're, 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 they're putting somewhat active water in their car tank. Oof. All right. So 
Then he explains that they used to drive 10 to 12 hours on one tank. He must have had a Prius 10 to 12 hours on one tank. It wasn't that truck, I'll tell you. He said, you could go anywhere. Ellie says, so where'd you go? And he said, pretty much nowhere, which is funny, but also a little tragic in the sense that like he didn't know he had to do all the going that he was going to do then. Right? He just he was just living life and forgetting that it may have a finite point. That story that we're all living right there. She likes the siphon. She asks how it works. Joel, very technical explanation here. So everybody hold on to your hat. He says, it's the siphon. It's when liquid travels against gravity because pressure. You, you don't know. I know it works. Really? Look, I'm telling you, they're at a six now, Spencer. It's a six. Fun, fun bit of trivia. We assumed throughout almost all of human history that it was just it was basically atmospheric pressure and uh, the, the connection connectivity between water molecules that was driving things up and down the siphon uh, until we tested it in a vacuum relatively recently and found that it still worked, which shouldn't be the case if atmospheric pressure was in place or was was the was the primary driving force. So fairness to Joel. Humanity was wrong was uncertain for a long damn time how that was actually functioning. Do we know now or do you know or uh, we, we think it is essentially a combination of atmospheric pressure in certain conditions, plus the fact that water you know sticks together quite well, as well as actually just the process of gravity, that once you get it over the loop, it goes back down, and then water sticks to each other as it goes. He tells her not to wander. He continues siphoning. So she says, okay, this is your fault then. <clears throat> Best part of the episode. She pulls out a book titled, No Pun Intended, <laughs> Volume 2, T-O-O, get it, L-O-L. She starts, um, it doesn't matter how much you push the envelope, It'll still be stationary. Uh, that that merits three groans out of six for me right there. Okay, next one. What did the mermaid bring to her math class? It algebra. Okay, I laughed at that one. I actually laughed that at that was, one. That, that was, that was, that was, was only like one groan. That was really good. Ellie's just howling. Joel was like, no, no. I stayed up all morning and then it dawned on me. Pretty good. Uh, I stayed up all night wondering where the sun went, and then it dawned on me. Oh, so good. She tells him uh, she'll... That was solid. Solid enough. I like all these. I, I Look, it's great. This is, all, uh, this okay. is all the best part of the episode to me. I've, wrote, I've written all these down into the episode. I want you to judge best and worst of the Ellie Pops. Oh, happy to do it. She tells him she'll go wait in the truck, uh, but he can't escape Will Levingston, who's been with all the... He'll be back. There's Stuck nothing the you can do. To, hours. Nothing you can do to stop him. She smiles happy with herself. Mm. Really getting a lot of her personality now, which I enjoy. I, I like the Ellie character. Um, the uh, people who don't like her acting, I don't understand. The people who don't like the character, I don't understand. To me, she's the most charming part of the show. Uh, particularly everything that's in the car and the pun book, though it, if I remember correctly, it's new puns. I don't remember any of these puns in the video game. Is carried over from the video game, where she does have a pun book, and most of their dialogue in the car is almost word for word. Yeah, it must have been so. Must have been some truck, she says, as they are going down the road and they see the cars cleared out on either side. He explains they used big plows to clear the road of cars for the tanks. I want to see a tank. You will. Tanks, choppers, all that stuff. But they'll fight the wrong enemy. Mm-hmm. Just scattered around now. So I think we get, you know, one, one thing that shows doing brilliantly with their storytelling, I think, is they are slowly introducing this concept that the world is like it is in large part because of the fungus, but not completely. Not completely. It, it is a lot of when all hell broke loose, humanity sort of fight at each other as well. And so that's yeah. that's also to respond. That's also responsible for how the world looks now. Yeah. I mean, the, fun- the fungus broke the world, but it's mankind that's actively now working to prevent the pieces from coming back together. She pulls out a tape of Hank Williams. Love Hank Williams. He's so good. Are you kidding me? Uh, the original singles collection. 
particularly this song. Alone and Forsaken is one of my favorite songs of all time, and I was just jamming during the opening part of this episode. Can you tell me one one other song that would be on your list of favorite songs of all time? Because I like, never know with my, you, it, never know with you in music. Just pick it. I would I would actually have to think about it because it's how rarely I think about music. But Alone and Forsaken was something my dad would play in the car every now and then, and it just stuck with me forever. Right, so gonna, that one is a special place in my heart. All right, I'm going to do the rest of this scene. Which is a scene that is beat for beat with the video game. How do I know this? I saw it on Twitter. They uh, actually had the video game and actually had this. And I know it's beat for beat, so I'm going to go over it. While I do that, I challenge you to find one other song that would be on your favorites. Because you confuse me with music. And I, uh, not in a bad way. I just don't know. I never know. Uh, So she pulls out a magazine, porn magazine, a man. She explains it's light on the reading, but there are a lot of pictures. She says, how do you even walk around with that thing? Boy, does that make Joel uncomfortable. My goodness. He is just all befuddled flummoxed he tries to get her to put it down saying it's not for kids she says hold your horses i want to see what all the fuss is about which is a hilarious thing for a 14 year old to say then she hits him with this this zinger better than any of the puns why are all the pages stuck together uh uh i'm just fucking with you then she litters i can't believe you would litter uh it's the apocalypse it's the least of all the crimes we've seen (laughs) yet on the show (laughs) she throws it out the window but that that scene is beat for beat with the video game i understand why they took it from the video game because mm-hmm. it's particularly charming and funny. Do you have another song? Uh, Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. You approve, sir? Absolutely. How could Thank I you. not? Two real I love bang- a lot of Rolling Stones music, but that one, that one and Gimme Shelter are my absolute favorites of them. Okay. You know what? I'm starting to really like your music selection here. We're, we're going to have to talk. I'm a, we're I'm do a, a music classic po- rock guy. We may do or some, classic music guy. We may do a music podcast later. So then we see them driving. We see the countryside, old overpasses, bridges, everything overgrown with algae. Algae bra, algae. Uh, I, 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 yes, fungi. Uh, it, I will say from a pure filmmaking standpoint, mixed with the music, mixed with Wisdom's wonderful interaction between the two, the, these two actors have just such wonderful chemistry together. And I don't mean that in a romantic way. Back off. Um, I don't like anybody who, who get, who's getting weird about that. We Here's the thing. Everybody just stop that. Like uh, uh, Emperor, Emperor Uncle Lee is saying everybody stop that. We need to be able to say that these two are charming together. Mm-hmm. They have chemistry. They like each other. They without love each other. Romantic. Without any implication of that. It's a 50-year-old and a 19-year-old. Like That's not what we're talking about. So it, for, we don't ever have to do that disclaimer again on this podcast, okay? Thank you, sir. Great. Uh, absolutely adored this scene from a filmmaking perspective. It was all blending together so well and the Hank Williams song, Alone Forsaken, was perfect for it as we saw what is the decayed memory of a world. Absolutely. I thought it was really good. I thought that there were some, because they're clearly going through the Midwest. I think they end up mm-hmm. in St. Louis, maybe. Is that right? Uh, Kansas, Kansas City. City? Which is actually, it was Pittsburgh, oddly enough, in the video game, which some people are saying this is the, the show picking uh, change changing from Pennsylvania to Kansas city just to announce who their Super Bowl favorite is. But the explanation at the end of the episode was that they, they could make Calgary look more like Kansas city than look in Pittsburgh. Uh, who's your Super Bowl pick Eagles, Kansas uh, city. I, I have no dog in that fight whatsoever. And honestly, I enjoy the game more because of it. Yeah. But you got to pick one right now. Go. Uh, Kansas city. Okay. I'll go Philly. Um, then he looks over at her. Oh, one cool thing we see in this thing is a train track has collapsed. And it's one of those like train tracks that are really cool to ride in if you're on the train. But when it goes real, like it's like a bridge, it goes really Mm -hmm. high up above. Seeing nothing but the world around you. Really cool. And and what's so sad is that the train is broken in it. So it looks like the train maybe collapsed Mm -hmm. on the tracks, which is not great. You know, you can kind of build out a story that maybe somebody commandeered the train years later. The tracks weren't 
prepared for the weight and the whole thing collapsed. You ever seen the movie Snowpiercer? No. Where it's the, tra- the train go it's a train going on forever in a world that is now an ice ball. So yeah, somebody was trying to do that and the train realistically the train track wore out. Then he looks over at her and says, "All right, that's enough for the day." He does this while it's still light outside, which is smart, right? You don't want to be tramping in the wood, tramping in the woods when it's completely dark. He drives them off the road into the woods. Then we see the meeting. He tells her to slow down. She tells him she is slow. You know, I do want to point out how she eats differently than him. And that scarfs. Well, that makes sense. It's not just, and it, I don't think it's just the kid adult thing. Mm-hmm. This is somebody who's never been in a restaurant. <clears throat> She's never, never learned the rules of decorum. Never, never gone to cotillion. That's kind of important when you're looking at just how, like just day-to-day behaviors. A fitting school. Right. If she, if she knew how to use the fork and knife, well, the way that Joel was eating, I would call mm-hmm. bullshit. Like there's no, there no, there's nobody to teach her. So that's actually a really good little, little uh, detail that they threw in there. I think it's a great call. I'll throw throw an addition on there too. Um, my dog was starved when he was very young. We got him from a shelter, or whatever else. Oh As my god! I thought fact, you were saying you starved your dog. No. Whoa. Thank you for putting that out there in the world so people can sample Holy that. Smokes. Quote for later. Going, going back Pre- to Chernobyl I... episode one with the dogs. <laughs> but reason I make this reference, thank you for distracting us all, is that his only means of eating is to just immediately consume everything in one bite because he was starving. That sure. was his only, he would try to gorge himself whenever he had an opportunity to do so. I have to wonder for kids that are born in the apocalypse, probably all born hungry and spend a lot of the time growing up hungry, that they're used to just eating as much as they can, as fast as they can, when they can. That's also, yeah, I like, see, that's the stuff that really is intriguing to me, those little details when they get it right about mm-hmm. what would make sense. And th- this show seems to do that more times than not. It's it's really good about that stuff. Now, one little thing they point out is that they're eating 20-year-old chef Boyardee ravioli. <laughs> she says what that is- she says that guy was good. He says, I actually agree. Now, because I'm not super invested in the show and I'm just going to sidetrack you every chance I get, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Is there any traditional like processed food that is like name brand that we all know that is comforting to you that you go to that people might not expect. I will start people who know me know that I love food. I'm a big food guy. It's a really important part of my life. Mm-hmm. At least once a month, I have hamburger helper at least Ham- once a month. I fucking love helper. hamburger helper have to mm-hmm. go back to it every once in a while. And I'll tell you, there's not a flavor. I don't like, I like every damn flavor that they've got have a hamburger helper. Now I'm vegetarian. So I use the beyond meat, but it's very good. Do you have an example? If you don't, I'll continue the uh, recap until you have one. I'll, I'll offer two. Uh, wh- one, despite the fact I had a significant amount of you know fresh vegetables growing up, I still actually kind of every now and then enjoy the taste of canned vegetables. Like canned peas, canned, canned green beans, that kind of different taste that the can has, I still have a certain nostalgic feel in it. So one example. I there. fuck with veg all. That's, re- that's real country veg-all. shit. Veg <laughs> Solid call right there. My Otherwise, got uh, me on veg all. <laughs> uh, frozen microwavable lasagna. Oh, yes. Stouffer's or something like that. Stouffer's lasagna. Where if you're like, you're feeling really classy, sure, you can put it in the oven. But actually, when you just want to eat it, throw it in the microwave, go it off, peel that plastic wrapper off, and go to town. And I'll tell you, a, a good it, answer to this question is Chef Boyardee ravioli, because that it, shit is also really good. I, I would have a can of Chef Boyardee ravioli every, every like, Maybe once or twice a week when I would get home from like elementary school, just like a snack before dinner. And that was a wonderful way to spend an afternoon. She asked how long they're going to stay out there. He says they'll sleep that evening and then get up and drive the whole next day and night. 
get there the following morning. She's like, so we can start a fire. I'm freezing. Now, why am I going to tell you no? She I love that tone. I know. I and she gets it that wrong. Dad tone. And she even gets it wrong, which is funny. She's like the infected. He- he gave her the Socratic opportunity to fail. <laughs> this is this is like me having a normal conversation with Spencer. He's like, <laughs> let me ask you a question to tell you you're wrong when you I'm answer. here to teach you. He explains, no, it's not the infected. He's worried about silly. Fungus isn't that smart, and it's too remote for infected. He's worried about people. She he, he keeps telling her this over and over again. The At this point in the pandemic, it's abundantly clear to us that the fungus the infected people are mostly clustered around where living people still are yeah city centers which makes perfect sense right they're still attacking the living where there aren't a lot of people there's not a lot of infected there would be no reason for the fungus to be there and the fungus that was there would probably die out over time except apparently there's some that live 20 years i don't know i think we're going to get some answers about that in later episodes um but she's just great. not she's not picking this up. He keeps telling her over and over again it's the people. And then of course it's foreshadowing to later in the episode. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's also interesting to see in this this tracks too. The natural world is in many ways recovering from our absence. Because we see a lot of happy American bison buffalo that are there alongside the road as they're driving about. She says, So what are the people gonna do? Rob us? He says they'll have way more in mind than that. I think mm. she gets the idea. So she says, Woo, uh, and they uh they go to bed. It's, it's interesting. She gets it, but she had not thought of it. That is still a certain level of innocence as to what mankind can do to each other. Yeah. And there's a pl- there's plenty of moments in their dialogue where it's clear that she's still a child. And that's cool. I like that they do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that it still breaks through every once in a while. And I honestly think that's the part that he's connecting with the most. Honestly, that the part that he can still see his daughter in Ellie, like that's the part he's connecting with and starting to really care about as much as he pretends like she's just cargo, which is complete bullshit. He's going to stick to that narrative, sure. But yeah, we're seeing the cracks come in. Her sleeping bag smells good. Well, it's obviously Frank's. That's a funny line. Bill's wouldn't smell good. Uh, he checks his gun. Uh, and he, said, he says this getting into the other sleeping bag, so he could probably have a very personal view on that subject. Yeah, I'm sure Bill's doesn't smell too good. Uh, take a shower, Bill. Uh, he checks his gun, then gets into the sleeping bag. She sits down to her book, looks at it for just a second with her flashlight, puts it down. Joel, Joel, can I ask you a serious question? Spencer, would you like to take over the recap here? Uh, why did the Scarecrow get an award? Because he was outstanding in his field. And Joel gets this when she gets uh, mad at that. This is the one I would have gotten. I have heard this. This is an old classic to the point that whoever originally thought of this is a genius, but it's gotten kind of hackneyed. I don't know if I would have gotten it, but I have heard it before. I'm not sure I would have gotten mm-hmm. it on the spot, but I have heard it before. Uh, he says, you dick, did you read this? No, no, <laughs> now go to sleep. I love that interaction. I love that moment of little bonding between them. Are we at a 6.5 with that one? The fact I that he actually engaged enough to tell the joke I think back? we're still at a 6 here is what I'm Okay, we're we're upper range is a 6, maybe. So then uh, she looks up some morning. Um, or no, no, not yet. She says, those people, you said, there's no way anyone knows we're here, right? No one's going to find us. Joel says, no one is going to find us. She says, okay, Spencer, my question for you. Mm-hmm. Why do you think she asked that question? And what do you think she took from Joel's answer? I I think she, I think it was a reasonable question to ask from a girl who is seemingly spending her, uh, one of her few nights out in the wilderness. She's been, not spent that many out there with Joel before. She's dealing with the idea that there are threatening people out there. She's just been confronted by a thought she never had before, that people not only will just rob you, they've got much worse intent in mind. I think she actually just wants to be kind of reassured by an adult that's present. Now, Joel answers a solid half of her question. 
but I don't think she focuses on that, and I think she actually is kind of reassured by it. That's my read. What do you think? I think that is one read. I okay. also think that there's a read, I'm not, not quite sure if it's true, that she knows there's no way that Joel knows if they're safe or not. And she wants to know if he's going to give her honest answers. So it's more of a test. And that, cause when, cause she doesn't look particularly uh, comforted by his answer. That's fair. And so that made me, that made me think like, Oh, maybe she was kind of testing him. And when he gave her that answer, she thought, Oh, he's still treating me like a kid. Like he's just telling me what I want to know. Cause there's no way he knows we're out in the middle of the force. He apps. There's no way he knows that we're going to be okay. Now we get evidence of that, right? Because as soon as she falls asleep, Joel stands up and keeps watch all night. So he, he yeah. knows he doesn't know either. So he did give her kind of a bullshit answer. Uh, he unquestionably gave her a bullshit answer. As to the correct read on it, I feel like we're speaking to both sides of Joel's paranoia right here in terms of how, how a 14-year-old thinks. Right. But, you know, I think it's important to try to get Nellie's head a little bit. Oh, certainly, yeah. I, um, I, th- I think these are, these are re- we don't, we see only how she reacts. We don't get to spend any time inside her head or even get get to see her face afterwards. So I think either is a reasonable interpretation and the fact, and the fact that they're a complete opposite ends of the spectrum is fun. So she gets up, she goes over and she's making coffee. She hates that smell. What the fuck is that? You don't like coffee? What the fuck? You know, like, so I, I, it's still I, coffee Spencer, but he got this coffee from Bill. So this makes sense. <laughs> that it's pretty rough, rough, rot gut coffee. Well, no, that they have coffee. Remember our conversation oh, yeah, from episode yes, yes, one yes, where yes, I was yes, trying yes, to figure yes. out how the fuck they would source coffee beans. Now, yep. Through this conversation, it's apparent that, of course, like cockroaches, fucking nuclear waste, the last business that survived was Starbucks Mm -hmm. in the QZ. How the fuck was Starbucks getting beans at this point? I don't know. Coffee beans aren't grown in North America. My best guess is that we remember that Bill was a prepper, a survivalist, depending on how you you want to interpret this. As a person who has read a fair amount of post-apocalyptic literature... Among the most successful trade goods that you can find in the entire world, coffee, alcohol, and salt. I'm guessing Bill probably had a metric ton of that in his basement because he wanted to be prepared. So Bill did. My question is, how was Starbucks getting the beans to sell in the QZ? She didn't say that Starbucks was selling it. She asked what Starbucks used to sell back in the day as if it was a fading memory that they had beans. So I'm guessing that she's just knowing what Starbucks might have done in the past rather than that it was all something that was going on during the apocalypse. Yeah, I probably read this one wrong. I thought what she was saying is that Starbucks had operated in the QZ for a little while as a business. Um which I can't, you know, I, I can't I don't know, maybe, maybe some businesses did survive for a little while. I, I think some businesses survived for a while. Uh, on the other hand, the Starbucks next to my house, I can't rely on them to keep the regular business hours now, so I'm not betting on them during the apocalypse. He explains it's the same stuff, although theirs was much fresher than what Bill had. Uh, she says it smells like burnt shit, which I, I got, you're not a coffee drinker. You don't understand this joke. So let me take over. Please. I think this is a shot at Starbucks who consciously burns their coffee beans. So but what Starbucks does, that. they burns their, they burn their coffee beans to have a, like, I think a little bit more caffeine content, but B to have this sort of unique flavor to it, which isn't great, but it's everywhere. So I get it. I think they're taking a shot at Starbucks. And if they are, bravo, fuck Starbucks. Their shit is not hey, that good. Lee, are you also proud of me that I've started to drink coffee more lately? Or is this you know, a, a, a further detriment to my character? I didn't think you were going to survive much longer if you didn't start drinking coffee. The, way you, keep hours, the way you keep I, hours, it had to happen. 
there's a certain amount of caffeine. It's either that or just like a caffeine IV just going right into me, and I'll take coffee as the better alternative. I'll tell you, one of the things I'm most proud of in my life is that I have I get up in the morning, I have one cup of coffee, and then I'm mm-hmm. done. I have one cup and I'm done. Most mornings, like the ninety percent of mornings, it's a it's it's really something for me. I have a, I'd say a significant portion of my coworkers never don't have coffee actively in their hand. I, I think that's how a lot of people limp through the day. So I'm not sure burnt. I mean, if it's a shot at Starbucks, I like the writing, but I'm not sure mm-hmm. burnt shit is entirely fair for coffee. It is an acquired taste, however. He tells her to keep her eyes on the map. She gives it, him the way. She asks him where his brother is. Great conversation here with a little background. He says, last radio contact came in a tower named Cody. Cody does exist. Cody, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. She looks at the map. She finds it. Says, oh, it's deep up in there. She asks what they do if he's not there. And Joel ticks through the fact he's probably close near some settlement. Near it, something, somewhere around. Mm-hmm. Ain't too many of them in Wyoming, which is probably true. She says, true what, about, what about Cheyenne? He says, Cheyenne. She goes, Cheyenne, really? Which is really funny considering <laughs> the spelling of that word. Mm-hmm. She asks about Tommy, if he's younger or older. He is, in fact, younger. And then what the story is. Joel says, long story. Well, got 24 hours, 25 hours. How about, we, how about we pony up with the long stories, Joel? And so, sir, we get a story which your assumptions had some accuracy on them, I got to say. Joel explains... Tommy is a joiner. He joined the army right out of high school. A few months later, they ship him out to Desert Storm. Point is, being in the army didn't make him feel like much of a hero, which, you know, I have an awful lot of respect people who served. I did not. I got a lot of friends who are veterans, family members who are veterans. But I have heard this from some people, right, that they join with the idea of being in a collective, of feeling like they contribute to something, and then they don't always, not not everybody, but some, don't get that feeling inside, right? So I think and this is a real phenomenon for some people. I think it, I think it is. I think, for example, I mean, a, a, a movie example for the uh, Desert Storm is Jarhead, is showing of how much that war in particular did not resonate with with some of the soldiers that were fighting in it. Hoorah! Mm. Sorry, sorry, you said Jarhead. Uh, Twelve years later, <laughs> outbreak happens, and he makes his way up to Boston with some group, which Joel went with as well, as Joel puts it, mostly to keep him alive. It's where they met Tess and that whole crew. We, well, for what it was, it worked. Now, kind of sounds like a throwaway line. With what we learn later in the episode, I think we start to figure out what that period of Joel's life really was, which is not super great. And you now know a little bit better about Tess saying that we're shit people. Then Tommy meets Marlene. She talks him into joining the Firefly. Same mistake he made when he was 18. Wants to save the world. Pipe dream. Fireflies. Delusional. Of course, last I heard. He quit the Fireflies, too. So now he's out there on his own somewhere, and I have to go get him. I have to go get him. This is the mm-hmm. pressure that Joel puts on himself. It's my response. I'm like, his brother's a grown man, by the way. But it's he, yeah. he has to go save him. Is his he, I mean, how he views his life. I mean, his brother was how many years younger than he said? Did he say many years? He just said younger. He just said younger. I mean, brother's at, what, late 40s probably then? Yeah. Grown-ass man. Grown-ass man. And he's like, I, got, I have to go save him. It's a, it's a strange thing. Um, he, then we get this quote from Ellie, which I think is, um, a quote that you might put on the top, maybe two or three quotes of the entire series. Maybe I think mm-hmm. when you're starting to talk about the point of the show and why the characters are doing what they're doing, if there's no hope for the world, why go on? I mean, you gotta try, right? <laughs> the question Lee asks every day when we watch this show. Exactly. You lost 7 billion people. Why the fuck do you care? Like who cares? Right. How do you feel about Joel's answer to this question? Um, you know, I think that it's his particular motivation. I think that everybody in this world is going to have to find their own. You know, his is family. He says, 
family. You keep going for family. And he, you know, he, he coughs up her inability to understand this, which I think is kind of bullshit because it's Joe's personal motivation. Not everybody's going to have the same one in this world to mm-hmm. being young, which I, I just don't come on. Like you can't, that's, that's silly. She's asking a very good question here, which is the world has ended. Why are we still going on? If not for hope? I, I feel like this is a common response from the jaded, though, that they almost look down upon or think that people that are innocent or are naive that aren't as cynical as they are. Uh, so th- this tracks that he would just be so dismissive of her that she doesn't have as brittle and, ba- and bandaged a worldview as he has. Yep. Uh, she says, well, I'm not family. He says, nope, you're cargo. <clears throat> Spencer, mm-hmm, do you mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. she's cargo? I, yeah, I think she is nothing more than a volleyball in the backseat. That is his perspective on her. Yep, I feel that is 100% supported by the evidence that we get within this episode and the rest of the media. What a question for you. What What was the name of the, was it F- Hank, Frank, the volleyball in Castaway? Wilson. Wilson. That's that, it. That was spe- Thank you, sir. That was specifically the reference I was making. Appreciate there we it. Go. All right. I got it now. Thank you. I have to, I have to, I have to lay it out there for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, I made a promise to, to Tess. And she was like family. Then Ellie goes on and says, what if you don't find Tommy? He says, I will. How do you know? I'm persistent. I believe that he is persistent. Mm-hmm. He tells her she can grab more sleep if she wants. I'm not even tired. Smash cut to her sleeping. This has been every single drive I've ever made with my girlfriend. This time I'm going to stay up with you. Don't worry. Whole 10 hour drive and be right there with you. Six minutes later, snoring and drooling on the, on the car seat. <laughs> you put your, your girlfriend in a car seat? I, I wanted to say just like the the, the 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 armrest, but for some reason car seat came out. But yes, that he puts his girlfriend in a car seat. All right, we learned a lot, and he like we we know musical preferences. Uh, yeah, we're learning a lot about you. Today. Yeah, uh, maybe it doesn't help for the, the car seats facing backwards. You know the way they, the way they're required to do nowadays. Just rocks her right to sleep. Spencer puts his girlfriend in a car seat, eats some Stouffer's lasagna, he turns on the Rolling Stones, and down the road he goes with his cup of coffee. I gotta say, that sounds like actually a really pleasant drive. Joel gets to a tunnel that's completely blocked by a semi and a bunch of cars. It's a Sarah Lee. Nobody does it like Sarah Lee. Uh, blocked semi and a bunch of cars. He gets out carefully with a gun, tells her to stay put, looks around, sees it's blocked, gets back at the car. She asks how far they have to go to get around it. He says, screw it. We can just, we can jog, we can jog right around this tunnel, take the next ramp, and we're back on the road. Minute tops. World traveler that you are, I pretty much assume you've been everywhere. Have you ever been to Kansas City before? Did they fake? Did they make Calgary look like Kansas City? I've never been to Kansas City. No, oh, we're gonna fix that at some point. I've no. not. I've not been either. No, I've been to. I've been to St. Louis, but I've not been to Kansas City. Well, so I kind of have a feel for the middle of the country. I feel like it's probably very similar to St. Louis. Um, so he goes backwards. As he goes, they see abandoned alleyways he asks her where they are she says she doesn't know she's all turns around he complains hey look at the state map about the inset i don't know where we are in that either this is my second fucking day in a car man i mean we're going north i think totally fair to point out it's her second fucking day in a car matter of fact day before she didn't know what a seatbelt was also haven't i haven't used a actual physical map in a while I'm guessing I'd be a little bit thrown off my game. It's been a while since they looked at them, and they're not, you know, inherently intuitive sometimes. They see a bunch of burned bones. There's a little dum-dum-dum when they see the burned bones. Why? Because a fungus doesn't burn you. Humans did mm. that shit, obviously. So trouble in Kansas City, as That's it were. Quite a That's tr- probably a Hank Williams song, Trouble in Kansas City. <laughs> That, that is quite a charnel pit, too. That is a stack of bones that's like five feet high. That is a lot of people they piled there. He tells her to stop, and uh, she tells him to stop, and they see the entry to the QZ. Guess what, Spencer? Front doors wide the fuck open. 
Yeah, I don't think this uh, Federal QZ QZ is still intact, and we see more of that before the episode is over. Frodo and Sam looking around Mordor like, where the fuck are the things? What what happened here? There's there's an Aragorn somewhere. So she wonders, what the fuck is Fedra? That's a good, where the fuck is Fedra? That's a good question. Then a guy holding his stomach appears asking for help. Help me, help me. Ellie's like, we're going to help him? Joel, no. Joel takes off, boom, right toward him. Didn't even think about it. Knew right away. Goes right toward yeah. him. As he goes, someone drops something on the truck. People are shooting at the car. All hell breaks loose. They're being attacked. Joel drives the truck right into what looks like maybe a car wa- or a, a, a laundromat. Laundromat. Laundromat, laundromat yeah. Um, after the crash, you notice this. Cargo. Spencer, cargo. As soon as they crash, what does he do? You okay? You okay? You hurt? You hurt? Immediately you okay? you checking okay? on her. Immediately directing her. His sole attention, his sole care is, is focused on her safety. I'm 100% I, sure he asked that question before he even moved all his fingers and toes and legs and arms oh. to know that anything on him was broken. Uh, I'll credit to quality filmmaking here. This is a well-tensed, well-filmed, almost almost feels like a one-er kind of scene, like children of man, uh, man kind of style. Is this? We're following this car as it's getting attacked from all sides before it originally rams into this store. People are firing them, so they get out of the truck, get behind it. Joel gets his gun. If you have, you've turned this again, it's a pain in the ass, but you do learn a lot more if you watch with the captions on, because, uh, what we hear the people actually yelling, Mm -hmm. well, we can see that with the closed captioning and they're saying, give us your shit. You'll make it through. We promise. Basically there's a tax for getting through here. We want to take everything that's in your truck or part of it or whatever. Now Uh, I don't believe them. Do you trust them? No, of course not. They're shooting at you. No, of course not. (laughs) They threw a brick on your car windshield. These guys do a scam. Well. They started with a scam of a of yeah. fake hurt guy. No, of course. If, they don't if, if this was a toll, if, if this was actually a toll road, they would block you calmly be out there showing you. And that would be that. This is not that. He tells her to go get a hole, go get in a hole in the wall, which, you know, literally is the most loving moment I've ever seen somebody say, Hey, go get, go get in that hole in the wall. Like it is caring. It is compassionate. It is like, this yeah. guy is invested Mostly when in it's a, hey, in that hole. Go stick your head in that wall. It's usually not positive, but this is no. actually super positive. Uh, tells her, uh, <laughs> that she'll be okay. If she goes, he assures her, no one is going to hit her. Why? Cause he's going to cover her. That's right. When she gets down on all fours, army crawls over to the hole in the wall. Joel pops up, bang, bang, shoot him up, starts firing. She gets into the hole safely, which actually puts her into a different room. That's what, that's where she's going. Joel then hits another person. They fall down. I think we're down to one enemy now. Mm-hmm. And again, you mentioned the idea of the subtitles. These guys keep up a running dialogue the entire time, including cursing Joel when one of them runs over to go check on his now shot companion. Yeah. So we think we're down to one person, right? That person's coming toward the building. We see from Ellie's perspective, she seems scared. We hear gunshots. She ducks down. Then there's a dead body. We see it's not Joel. He has won the day. Shoot out the OK Corral. Joel is the win, big winner. However, there was not only one person left. Someone from behind him, someone much younger than Joel, starts to fight him, uh, Physically, they're, they're very close together. Brian, and he actually gets the best of Joel. He gets on top of Joel. It looks like he's strangling him. And then Ellie pulls the knife out, shakes that off, grabs the gun, goes back through the hole in the wall, walks up slowly, gun up. Not really much hesitation, honestly. Shoots the guy. She does seem a little traumatized by it, though. She, she holds she, the gun over him as he starts to beg for his life. Where Also, the angle she's pointing the gun... Proves accurate for where they show his injuries. She's aiming low. She's like aiming lower than I would recommend for fear that she might actually hit Joel underneath him. 
I agree. I think she hit like lower back maybe. And it seems she seems to, hit, seems to have hit his spine because he's paralyzed, right? So he's begging for his life. He's saying his legs don't work. He says his mom isn't far. They can trade. This guy just goes on and on and on. Joel walks up there, takes the gun, puts it to the waistband of his pants. Joel, you'll shoot your damn ass off that way. Joel turns to the guy. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Guy gives Joel a knife. Hey, I'll give you a knife. We're buddies now, right? He tells mm-hmm. you, go get behind the wall. She turns around and does not look back quickly goes over behind the wall she stands there and then we hear a pop and that's it for the guy i i, I liked that he didn't shoot him i like that he would exercise the ammo conservation of just stabbing him presumably right in the throat based on where we see the injuries later yeah you would yeah absolutely you wouldn't do that right you would uh you would 100 percent just that like that not, matter of fact the guy probably gave him what joel used to kill him the knife right 100 100 percent. i think the guy realized it after he gave it to him too Jill asks for help getting in the room, which she does. Uh, she pulls a, a desk that was blocking the door. All that little stuff is so sad. I mean, it's just like terribly sad because you can mm-hmm. just imagine the people who own this laundromat when all hell broke loose, busted into that, you know, got into that little office, put the desk up against the chair, and then one of the fungus people broke through the hole in the wall. Like you could, uh, there's a story and all of these set scenes. Mm-hmm. that's pretty obvious and all are pretty tragic. The show is doing a good job with that too. I mean, I got a lot of positive things to say about a show I don't like, Spencer. <laughs> Again, you think it's a very well-made show if it was just been done about anything else. He asked her if she's okay. She says, she's she's okay, she's okay. Like in a way that, it, it's the way it, that Spencer says he's okay when he's having a bad day. It's, it's the, I don't want to fucking talk about it. Okay, is what she it, gives him. And he picks up on it, right? He doesn't go, he doesn't pick at her right away on this. He just lets it go. Yeah, it, it is obvious effort of masking, obvious effort of just distracting. She immediately tries to transition the concept. The con, she tries to move the conversation to other things in a way that makes it all the more apparent. It's like, oh, I've, I've still got food in my bag and we got stuff and here's a flashlight. It's like, oh, you are just looking for anything possible to move this conversation to a different point. Yeah. Um, she asks, what now? He tells her that hopefully they can clear... So they can find a clear route out of where they're at. They open a door. He tells her to stay close. They walk through and into an alley. You see trucks going by. You hear someone yell, Brian, Brian, body, body. So it was Brian who got in a fight with Joel. Joel and Ellie run into a different building. Cut to a few guards. This part feels very much like a video game. You know, going through the town, trying to like avoid the people who were going. Like, I mean, I just feel like we're playing a video game almost, right? Mm-hmm. Cut to a few guards standing around, and then we see a federal holding tank, and a woman walks into the room with a gun. This woman, by the way, stars in a wonderful Showtime series called Yellow Jackets. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's better than the show you're currently watching right now. So watch Yellow Jackets. Oh, it's really good. Not seen it. Season two comes back in April. That's that's a show you got to watch. Um, he says to her, what else do you want me to say? I don't know the truth. Uh, this is a guy that she's talking to, a much older fellow than her. Uh, he calls mm-hmm. her Kathleen. So we're going to call her Kathleen for a while. Sold. She starts ticking through a list of people. The Berquist, Mark, Anthony, Halpin, Carrie Schreiber, on, on, on. These are people who have apparently been missing who I'm going to guess with my little thinking cap, Spencer, Fedra probably ended in some way. Because she seems like, she doesn't seem Fedra. She doesn't have Fedra jacket on. She's not federal. She seems like these are very much federal revolutionaries that have overthrown the federal government running this QZ. If you had to guess, how long ago would you think that happened? This is all new. This is not in the video game. This, this changes all the way throughout the episode, but we don't spend any time you know, from the bandits' perspective in Pittsburgh in the video game, nor 
is it re- directly indicated that they overthrew, uh, they re- that they overthrew Fedra? How long would you bet that the, these guys here in the episode have now taken over their community? So I'm not surprised because that woman very obviously was a part of a high school volleyball team that was on a plane crash in the middle of the woods and <laughs> became Lord of the Flies. And now she's telling the story later on years later through a very compelling season one. Now, I, I've seen your, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Sure. So to your question, um, I mean, it's got to be a little while, right? Like maybe... I, Maybe a few months, maybe? That's what I'm thinking. It's not yesterday. It's not yesterday, but it is recent enough that they're still dealing with people that they deem like, you know, the Fedra supporters, the rats, those that were supporting the government. They're still seemingly punishing because it seems like that's why they got this guy locked up is they deem him an informer from back. They're punishing people still for old crimes. I think he, I don't think it's a deem him. I think he's pretty much copying. Oh, he admits he's an informer. Yeah. Not, not, not willfully. That he was threatened. He had a gun to his head, as he oh, said. Oh, Jesus. You lawyer, man. There's no law anymore. Are you kidding me? Men's Raya matters. Oh, come on. This is this, That's not even a thing anymore. There's no courts. There's uh, only a gun a this guy's head. I believe it, though. I do believe that he was an informer. I don't, I don't think he's lying about that when she puts the gun to his head. Um, she wonders aloud if this is the cell where her brother was beaten alive. So we're starting to pick up Kathleen's story, right? Personal Fedra, Fedra maybe mistreated her brother and... They created their own little fireflies. I don't think they're fireflies, but they created their own little thing here in Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, they may. I think. I think at the beginning they were implied maybe even fireflies at one time or another. Though again, we don't have too much time with them. We have to, you know, guess everything. Seems like these guys were very much just an independent rebel group and have remained such, going a little bit reign of terror now. He says it's gone too far. It needs to stop. Oh, it needs to stop now. Now that you're in the cell, but before people dying, that was okay. When you were safe and protected and ratting on your neighbors to Fedra. Fair point. This whole, like, look, you know, it's like, you know, if you're in a fight and you start landing punches and somebody goes, hold on, we got to make peace. It's like, wait a second, we're making peace now that I got the upper hand like that. I get it. I get her. I get mm-hmm. her point. Uh, she's also a very good volleyball player. I just want to point that out. <laughs> Plane crash. Don't... Lord of the Flies telling the story later in a very compelling season one. Showtime, nine ninety nine a month. Make sure you get it. It's really good. You know, remember, folks, remember what he said earlier? We didn't do advertisements. I'm going to check later and see whether the man's gotten a check. I'm not sure anymore. Yellow Jackets. Great show. Uh, so she then puts a gun to his head uh, and says, there, have I satisfied the necessary conditions for you to talk? Her point being, look, Fedra put a gun to your head. I'm putting a gun to your head. He starts talking about how he delivered her. He held her in his hands. She looked at him. What did you make of the look she was giving him? I couldn't tell if it was compassion or frustration. I or maybe a little wistful thing. Why not both? Truly, why not both? I don't think compassion is the right word. Maybe there's a certain degree of just moral pull that's still remaining there, you know, threading rapidly. But she at least seems to have doubts about what what, what course of action she thought she was about to do. May just be what he says, you know, that I'm your doctor. And I think that also just means practically we have a history, but also practically I'm one of the last trained medical personnel in the apocalypse. Yeah, You're really going to shoot me in a storage cell? Hell yeah. In a storage container. Hell yeah, she is. She takes the gun down. Here's a noise. She walks outside, goes to the front of the crowd, sees the guy that Joel was fighting with. They've brought him back, his body back. She asks, mm-hmm. who did this? A guy with a gun says he thinks it's an outsider. The guy with the gun, I think we're going to know later. Do you know this guy's name? The guy with the beard? Uh, the name of the character is uh, Perry. I, lo- I had to look that up. Perry, I okay. Uh, but it, I did recognize the voice, and I double-checked. This is Jeffrey Pierce. He voices Tommy in the video game. 
Oh. So it's another that. voice actor that's been brought into the show. I like that. They don't think they were Fedra, but they had a truck with supplies. They could be Mercs. M-E-R-C-S. Spencer, what's that? Mercenaries? Mercenaries, yeah. Short firm. Um, so like maybe contract for hire type thing? Yeah, very much so. They could be somebody that's been employed by Fedra. They could be an independent organization. It could, could, could be just using it loosely as a roving band of organized guys. Either way, it's a concerning thing that some outside force is now in their territory. Do you think they established that it's a work-for-hire arrangement in this land of laws? And you talk about mens rea? I, I'm, I'm betting they don't have letters of bark. I'm betting there's not really you know, set contractual terms that are being written out here to, you know, to set the parameters for how these particular organizations work in the same way. To the point, I'm a little bit surprised that somebody like Kathleen is even running this collection of armed men. But, you know, we'll see more of Maybe we'll get more explanation of that. Serious question. Are you concerned that if the apocalypse happened and you're in the same position as this this doctor, that when somebody holds a gun to your head, your only answer is, but I'm a lawyer. <laughs> don't shoot, no, the, don't shoot uh, the lawyer. Again, <laughs> the number one demographic of people who love lawyer jokes is lawyers. We know how shit peop- the rest of the world views us. We're not going to advertise that. That's wow. not the line we open with. What would you what would you say? But I'm really good at video games. I could kick your ass at Halo. Sure. Yeah. Uh, maybe not focus that way. Uh, I'll think of something. I'll think of something. I would I'll just write your lie. speeches. I would just at look. If you put a gun to my head, I am going to lie. I am going to say, look, I knew your mother. You know, I she was dying. She's falling off a bridge. I caught her. Like you wouldn't be alive. I mean, I'd be making all kinds of shit. Remember that train bridge we saw outside of town? She fell right off that train. I nabbed her right on the midair, right yeah, there. Absolutely. When she was pregnant with you, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm your father, by the way. I'm also your father. <laughs> and your real name is Luke. <laughs> she posits that Henry. I think we need to remember that name. Could have called them in. She asked if the guy will live. Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. What if I had a doctor? They're like, ah, no chance. Sorry. So she decides. Don't need a doctor, obviously. <laughs> no need for that, a doctor. That made that decision. The one sick guy I've got is going to die. I'll never need a doctor again. So she goes it, in and shoots the doctor. Uh, uh, this just tells us how destabilized this new society they built has become. That that guy is that guy in any rational world that you're running here. That guy is sacrosanct. That guy is the most valuable individual you have in the entire community. You don't shoot him until he has passed his knowledge down in some digestible form so that you can continue running with some aspect of medical training. You don't just murder him. He's too useful. But this is a society that's making Robespierre look, you know, cuddly. Yeah, it is indeed. Uh, A guy with a gun says he thinks... Uh, or no, we're already there, right? Yeah, uh, we just shot the guy in the holding cell. Your guy, Perry. This is Henry's work. Just, so she shoots the guy, right? She comes back yeah. out. She is the de facto leader here. I really want more background on why yeah. she's the leader. Yeah, this is one of the things I struggled with a little bit. I've seen this actress before. She's a quality actress. It's She doesn't fit that well for me in the apocalypse. I think it doesn't? Almost the, I think almost they're trying to make it jarring that somebody can be you know soft-spoken and very teacherly the way you've been describing her as being. But running an armed gang of people and be brutal as all hell, and they just want to kind of draw a bit of contrast between that. But it's such a contrast, it almost takes me out a little bit how much she feels out of place in this setting. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is the dynamic that they've already used for that actress when she was a volleyball team, got the plane wreck, Lord of the Flies on the island. It's <laughs> I already, don't need to it's watch already this happened. show anymore. I've already seen happened it now. on a different show. Very compelling season one. Yeah, everybody should check it out. So. She's talking about this is Henry's work. Understand? And we won't stop. He won't stop until we stop him. Find who did this. Find every collaborator and kill them. Burn them all. Burn them all. Like that's what we're getting. Reign of terror. 
They have tanks. They say, we the people and run. And they go out looking for Henry, I guess. Bunch of them. A whole bunch of them. They got a lot of people and a lot of cars and, and de facto a lot of car batteries, which we know are difficult to get, and gasoline. So they might, they must have basically all of Fedra's old resources is what I'm and, guessing. And we're even seeing them drive Fedra Humvees. We're seeing them wear Fedra like, you know, armor and helmets, whatever else. These guys have clearly overthrown them. Fedra left maybe or, or were completely overthrown. I'm guessing they probably just evacuated whatever other bases still remain. And now these guys are making very heavy use of the gear that was left behind. We see at the high-low bar, I'm guessing the high-low bar was something from the video game. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to look that up to be They sure. had to. They, they made, it is, they this is my it. struggle. It's been 10 years since I played the video game. My memory is not perfect to these things, but yeah, I'll look yeah, it up. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm just, you don't even have to answer, right? Like sometimes I'm just guessing. Um, mm-hmm. But it, they were, it's very obvious that this was the high-low bar. So Joel is looking out the window that is covered in newspaper. Ellie's asking him, who are the people? Uh, who are they? And he says, people. Um, she asks him if they are okay. He says, for a little bit, maybe. So he's being kind of obvious there, that, uh, or, or kind of truthful there, that they're not completely safe where they are, but they're safe maybe for a little while. She says they're looking at apartment buildings first, or he says they're looking at apartment buildings first, but eventually they will clear through the place they're in. She spots a really tall building a few blocks away. They both have the same idea, right? Joel says he saw it too. Whenever they don't hear a truck, they're going to go for it. She asks him if he's okay. He says, I'm all right. Are you all right? She says, yeah. He looks around, shakes his head. Pretty compelling scene here. She says, things. Yeah, thing is, I, I, I didn't hear that guy coming. You shouldn't have had to, you know. She says, but you're glad I did, right? He says, but you're just a kid. You should know what it means. It's not like you killed him, but shooting, I, I know what it's like. First time when you hurt somebody. If you, I'm not good at this. Yeah, you really aren't. He says, I mean, it's my fault. He's it's, trying. It's He's my trying. fault. He's trying to apologize. You should have had to, and I'm sorry. She looks around, wipes her tears. So anybody telling me it's a one-note actress, I disagree. Mm. Says, it wasn't my first time. Ooh. And we let that one hang. He looks over at her. He does read the room, doesn't ask her anymore. Takes out the gun, takes out the clip and the bullet. And he, magazine and the bullet, whatever. And he uh, gives it to her and he starts to teach her. He teaches her the grip. Apparently, Fedra. Which, apparently, Fedra. The way Fedra teach you, teaches you is pretty stupid. The the one one hand. But they might as well teach you to like turn the pistol sideways. Like, what kind of fucking hold is that? <laughs> stupid. And he uh, he teaches her the two handed grip. Teaches her how to put pressure on the gun to keep keep it keep it rock solid in your hands. Tries to yank it from her and he can't. She likes that, right? Like she's mm-hmm. there's nothing Joel has done to date that she's enjoyed more than this twenty second tutorial she's on how to giggling. hold a gun. She loves it. He loads it, gives it to her. She puts it in her what? jacket. He tells her to put it in her pack. You'll shoot your damn ass off. That's a little Texas for you. He walks away. She puts it in her jacket. Of course she does. Of course she of course does. Of course she does. Absolutely. I mean, in particular, A, you know, she's just interacting with Joel and she clearly doesn't enjoy his company. B, he's teach, he's treating her like an adult here. He is giving her a dangerous weapon and he's trusting her to use it correctly and showing her how to use it correctly. For, any 14-year-old in the world is going to love that, Ellie in particular. Yeah, I agree. And it just does seem like like a real bonding moment from her perspective. I mean, he doesn't give her much gun lesson, but it's enough for her to really feel like he gave her something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we she walks over and he says, we will get through this. She says, I know. 
they open the board and take off. So this is an example of a time when I think, <clears throat> excuse me, she kind of floats in and out of being an adult, right? And when he says, we'll get through this, I think she notices that he kind of needs somebody to reaffirm it to him. I'm not sure he's a hundred percent sure. Right. And she, she's very firm with her. I know, I think almost comforting him, very symbiotic relationship. They're given and taken with each other, but all the time. And I, I really, I really dig that. Like the portrayal of these two, if you don't like that, like, I, I don't, you don't, you don't like television. If you don't like Joel and Ellie, <laughs> it, <clears throat> they're great it, together. They, they, they had a great medium to work with coming off the video game. The Joel and Ellie relationship is what everybody most remembers about the video game. And I, think that you know pedro and bella have done quite well with this in terms of bringing it to the screen cut back to the woman we met earlier kathleen if the doctor is to be believed her right hand man comes up to her parry he tells her there is signs of them so they walk into a building it's not the high low bar so again clarifying that i don't think they're really looking for joel and ellie right now i think they're looking for this henry character they don't know to be looking for joel and ellie really i mean they know there's somebody outside the city but they've got no idea who it is they left no survivors yeah, they walk into a building and there's an attic, sort of a trap door attic. I got one of those in my house. Spencer's the only person to have gone up in that trap door. Nobody else that I know of post-sell, post-buying my house has been up there except for Spencer. I was positively <clears throat> baffled when I was like, hey, man, you got an attic. Have you been up there? No. Not not once? No. Any, any desire to go up there? No. Do you mind if I go up there? Sure. A, I, that was so foreign of a response to me. There's a place in your house you've not been? Correct. What? Yeah, we've not been. <clears throat> we will not go. <clears throat> no need for it. So they go uh, upstairs. We see drawings, kids' drawings, and empty food cans. Very Anne Frankish, right? Looked a little Anne Frankish to me. The draw, the drawings in particular hurt for respect, with respect to that. There was clearly a kid up here for some time. Drawing of two people, a big one and a little one, makes me think there might have been more than one person up there, right? Uh, when we hear referred to a Henry and a Sam before the episode is over, and it seems like there may be a bit of a pair on the loose. Literally the next line, she says, they are out of food. Henry won't let Sam starve. So I'm going to guess Henry, father, Sam, son. Double the guards around our provision. He's fucking close. I can feel it. She thinks Sam, or no, Henry, is going to go steal some of their food, basically, for Sam. Mm -hmm. The guy says, yeah. She says, what? And then you go, they go into a different room. They open a door. Inside we see, what the fuck do we see? I think it's a sinkhole. Is it a big question for you, Spencer? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Theory time with Uncle Lee. I, I ain't saying shit. I want to hear what Uncle Lee has to offer me. Okay. It's either a sinkhole or... The, a pulsing sinkhole? Well, I don't know. how. Have you ever seen a sinkhole? I have seen a sinkhole. They don't typically You've breathe. You've not seen a sinkhole. Don't lie. I live in Florida. I have seen sinkholes. I don't believe this. I'm, uh, strike that from the record, from the podcast record. So... I think it might be like a under, like a root, like a, like a mushroom root mm. front. Cause we saw how the infected get together. They pull together. They, they connect to each other in this little weird mushroom network. I think that might be like a, a tentacle. I really, I know I'm being highly technical here, so maybe mm -hmm, I'll, I'll, mm -hmm, I'll have to mm -hmm. break it down even more simplistically for people. It might be an underground mushroom tentacle. Did I nail yeah. it? You have Should said I put this that on a post-it note under you want to put underground mushroom tentacle on a post-it note. Yes. You should put underground mushroom tentacle on a post-it note. Okay. All right. Now, well, here, here, here's a key question about this underground mushroom tentacle. And I'm going to say that complete every single time I refer to it throughout towards this episode. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> uh, do you believe that uh, Kathleen and what was his name? I, I already Perry. Perry. 
Uh, do you believe Kathleen and Perry have seen the signs of this underground mushroom tentacle before, based on their reaction? Uh, yes. It's gotten bigger. It, it clearly is something that they've been aware of, and they are hiding from everyone else. What that necessarily says it is, be it an underground mushroom tentacle or something else, can't really say. They may not precisely know. They've just clearly seen this before, and it is getting more and more problematic, troublesome, and threatening. To the point that Perry wants to actively inform the entire community that this is a possible, you know, threat. Whereas Kathleen, for vengeance reasons or otherwise, is dead set on finding the people that have informed for Fedra in the past. Which apparently, in particular, include uh, Sam and, and Henry. Yeah. I don't believe that this is going to become a real shocker to people. I don't think this Kathleen's a very good leader. Not that we've seen so far so much. Yeah. She says, let's just handle what we have to handle and we can deal with this after. Do you have to handle Sam and Henry right now? Is this this so important that big underground mushroom tentacle you're going to ignore? Mm -hmm. Give me Mm -hmm. a break, lady. You know what? She's not getting my vote. How about that? I I personally think the BUT is a significantly bigger concern that they need to be focusing on. Sorry, B-U-M-T. B U M T. That's going to be about. That's how I'm going to explain the podcast. No, no description. Just B U M T. He uh, appeals to her, but she says no. They clear out the building and they tell no one's what she says. She cut to. Uh, we cut to Ellie and Joel, and he's helping her get into a window. She immediately goes quiet when she gets in there, which pisses him off. It's just funny these two. I mean, like the mm. amount of times that they go in and out of a friendship in 24 hours is just staggering. She opens the door. Where would you be without me? Huh? And he goes, right now, Wyoming. Oh, yeah. Walked right in that one. Mm. So they go into the stairwell. The plan is to walk up to the top and in the morning, take a look around the city, find their way out. Pretty smart idea. Uh, I'm left to ask because we, we, we see Joel tell Ellie that, you know, we're going to get up as far as we can because, you know, old man knees or middle aged knees. Neither of us are 56. Still, how far, do, how many stairs do you think you could get up there before you would need a break? Flights. Uh, I, uh, this, I don't, I'm going to sound so douchey. I work out every day. I could get up those 56 mm-hmm. stairs. I could likely run them if I needed to. Like I, I just, I do work out every day. Is uh, it, I do hour, at least an hour of cardio every day. Would not be a problem for me. How about you? See, late. I want, I knew exactly how you were going to respond to that question. And I wanted to set you up to make yourself sound like a douche. Good. No, I'm happy. C- congratulations. You, you, cause you succeeded. Uh, Lee is Lee is in fact a douche. He, he works out every day. Uh, did I say that again? Lee works out every day. Oh my god, uh, he's mm-hmm, so cool. Mm-hmm, hey, look, mm-hmm. question for you though. Seriously, how many are you getting up? Can you get up thirty three? I don't know if I'm making up one. Really, I think you know. About no, 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 no. Self deprecating joke. You're giving a real answer here. I think I mean my knees could make it up quite a ways. I, I would probably need to take a couple breaks in the way up, but I think I could make thirty-five, and then you know wanted to, want to fall over and take a nap there. Little winded, is it, you know. And here's the thing: I'm not sure it's a really fair point because we know that Joel has been up two nights in a row because yeah. he didn't he's sleep the night he was supposed out. to sleep. Annie, yeah. So it's been, he's been up two nights, three days. He also just just has old man knees. We've seen that every time he stands up, the man you almost can hear glass breaking. We established in episode one. There's probably no knee replacements in this society. So he's stuck with those mm-hmm. knees. There's no getting reason. Mm-hmm. It's medieval times. He's keeping those knees. So they go into the stairwell. He quips that we go as far as he can. It doesn't take long for Joel to start getting winded. Hey, you know the guy who, you know that guy who said he was hurt. This is what Ellie's asking him. 
How do you know it was an ambush? Oh, he didn't want to have this conversation. He says, I, this is, it's obviously at a seven now for him to give this answer. Mm-hmm. He would never have, he would never have confided this in her. Not a bit. Even one episode ago. But he says, he's been on both sides of it. Back then they did the same thing. What they need to do to survive, Joel says. He confirms he, his brother Tommy and Tess all did it. She asks him, did you kill innocent people? He just looks away and says, come on, that's all. That's the only answer I ever need on this subject. It, there, there's a notable line. It's a line that stuck with me. A lot of people when they play the video game. Joel and the victim's a little bit more of a rough-edged individual. I mean, not, not that Joel in the show isn't. But when, he, when they're confronted by that guy in the street, his response to Ellie about should we help him is it almost, it almost has a tone of being professionally annoyed is just to say he ain't even hurt. As if, no, I've seen this before. I faked this before. I've been on both sides before. Go back to acting school, son. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Joel has seen and done a lot of shit going to the present point. So they went up, they go in somewhere. It's 33 on the 33rd floor. Apparently that's good. It's going to have to be. So she tries to help him up. He says, I need a minute. She says, come on, you lazy ass. He gets up. He says, 56 year old, you little shit. <laughs> Off they go. I love that line. <laughs> they go into an office building of some kind. And Joel puts a bunch of glass down at the doorway. She yells at him multiple times, finally getting his attention. His hearing seems to be getting worse by the minute. Uh, he says he doesn't want someone sneaking up on them while they are sleeping. She says, oh, I get it. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Are you sure they're going to mm-hmm. hear it? Of course I'm going to hear it. That's the damn point. She says, good night. Rolls over. He says, hey, when we were talking about hurting people, what did you mean it wasn't your first time? She just says, I don't want to talk about it. And that Which he most, respects. It, I, yeah, he does respect. It's the most serious I've ever heard her. It, there was not an element of joking in that tone. There was just a very firm, not impolite, but just conclusive no. No further conversation on this point. No joking attached. He says, all right, you don't have to. I'm just saying, is it fair your age having to deal with all this? She asks a wonderful question. So it gets easier when you get older. He's like, well, no. (laughs) But still, and this is is something that does hold up in court. Uh, Little known legal principle. I, of course, know about it. Contracts professional that I am. It's the but still argument. The but Mm -hmm. still. You have to give people the but still every once in a while. Great point, great point, great point. But still. But still. She says the reason she asked him about the hearing the glass is that she noticed he doesn't hear too well on his right side. We've noticed that too, especially in the mm-hmm. last about 20 minutes. They seem to want you to know it. She asked him if it's because he's been shot there. He says, no, it's the shooting that probably did it, which this is a real phenomenon too, right? People shoot. Oh, yeah. Shoot yeah, yeah. So if you want to keep your hearing, you stick to that knife. Joel, did you know diarrhea is hereditary? What? It runs in your jeans. Ah! <laughs> that's probably the best one. I had heard do, that one before. I'll do them that later, but that might be the best one. Joel turns over and snorts Jesus. That is so goddamn stupid. I didn't laugh. And he starts laughing. He says, I'm losing it. She says, you're losing it big time. And they just start giggling. It's a seven. Hard, it's, uh, hard, maybe a 7.5. I mean, these two are really getting locked. They, I mean, they go to sleep giggling. It's positively adorable. They're in a sleepover in the middle of the apocalypse level of adorable. It's awesome. Yeah, we get Joel waking up in the morning. Did you notice what side he rolled over on in his tiredness? Yeah, he was sleeping on his left ear, so his right ear was up, which is a problem, right? She shouts Mm. multiple times to wake him up. He wakes up, and an older man has a gun in her her face, and a younger kid has a gun in his. The young boy, who also has face paint, puts a finger to his lips. Shh. End of episode. Short episode this week. The real run, real run time was only about 43, 44 minutes. It was pretty short. Uh, and I, not much of a spoiler, say hi to Henry and Sam. Yeah, yeah. Henry and Sam is who, who, who find them. 
Uh, my prediction for next episode, uh, I'm not really going on a limb here. I don't think Henry and Sam are the real threats here. I think mm. I think after a very brief conversation, these four are going to be in cahoots uh, against whatever this fake firefly revolutionary Bernie Sanders element we have run in Kansas City. I mm-hmm. think they're all four going to work together to try to get out of there. I think that is an interesting analysis. Uh, you know, in terms of the cards you're putting up on a wall, alliance to deal with people trying to murder us and BUMP. All right, that's the end of the episode, Spencer. What you think of the B- episode? What you think of the Big episode? Big underground mushroom tentacle. B U M T. Gonna get Big this right. Yes. Underground mushroom tentacle. That is there what it go. is. Or a sinkhole, which Spencer has never seen, which we established by scientific fact on this podcast. I- I'm just still baffled that you find seeing a sinkhole that weird. You're from Eastern North Carolina. There are sinkholes out there too. Yeah. You get tidal sinkholes. You ju- it's just too convenient. You just you're just doing it for the podcast. I don't believe you've really seen one. I could be wrong. I'm wrong, I'm wrong about a lot of stuff. I do work out every. In- I do work out every way every day. I have sinkhole insurance on my house. It's enough of an active threat. Yeah, it doesn't mean you've ever seen one. Uh, okay. All right. Best line of the episode, I think, is where we're at. Uh, best line of the episode. I got a few for us here. Uh, again, we're we're gonna do two separate ones here. Best is best quote of the episode, but also best and worst joke of the episode. Got them written out separately. We'll do best quote first. Okay. Fire away. Uh, Back in the day, we'd drive 10, 12 hours on one tank. You'd go anywhere. So where'd you go? Pretty much nowhere. You, you highlighted that line earlier, but that one is just a, a speaking on modern life right there. Uh, I this It's not an individual quote, but again, Alone and Forsaken by Hank Williams is a wonderful song, which is perfectly used in this episode. So I'm going to offer that one as a best quote, too. Uh, from Ellie, why are all these pages stuck together? It's a straight quote from the DM, but I still laughed when I heard it. Uh, people. So, what are they gonna do? Rob us? Oh, they'll have more. They'll have way more in mind than that. And as well as Ellie's little reaction to that too. Uh, why did the scarecrow get an award? Joel, because he was outstanding in his field. And as Ellie immediately laughing and saying, "You dick," just tickled me entirely. Wonderful. Uh, Joel's entire monologue on top around Tommy. Too long to repeat, but. Pedro Pascal acts up a storm in terms of just his word choice, how he says the things, his pauses. It's a wonderfully delivered monologue. Um, in the, close to the end of that monologue from Ellie, if you don't think there's hope for the world, why bother going on? I mean, you gotta try, right? Joel, you haven't seen the world, so you don't know. You keep going for family. That's about it. Two philosophies butting, butting, up, against, butting, up, against, butting up against each other hard there. It's noticeable also that even among Joel's like immediate companions like Tess, a lot of them weren't even that jaded, it seems. Uh, Joel, I'm not good at this. Yeah, you really aren't. I mean, it was my fault. You shouldn't have had to, and I'm sorry. A pause, a sniffle, an eye wipe from Ellie. It wasn't my first time. Ellie, where would you be without me, huh? By now, Wyoming. Oh, yeah, walked right into that one. Process 2, um... Short line of a longer section, but did you kill innocent people and Joel's non-answer response conveyed volumes? Um, near the end, when we were talking about hurting people, what did you mean that it wasn't your first time? Ellie, I don't want to talk about it. All right, you don't have to. I'm just saying it isn't fair, your age, having to deal with all that. So it gets easier when you get older? No, not really, but still. Uh... The laughing scene you noted just a second ago about uh, did you know the diarrhea is hereditary? The two of them chuckling and laughing together, which is absolutely great. 
Uh, and what I wrote down while you were saying it is because I remembered how much I enjoyed it, but 56 years, fixed, I'm 56 years old, you little shit. I'm repeating that to my nibblings now. Not, not even 56, but I repeat the exact same context to them about how much they're just running circles around me and how much I'm frustrated by it. So, do best quote first, and then, then we'll do jokes. Best line of the episode in an episode that I think was slow plot-wise, didn't have a lot of great quotes. I think I'm going to pick a non-traditional best line of the episode. Hmm. It is Joel as he turns over and says, Jesus, that is so goddamn stupid. I didn't laugh. Yeah. I'm losing it. And she says, you're losing it big time. Might seem like a throwaway line. I really don't think it is. I think it's the first time that Joel really gives in to his affection for Ellie. Like he's, yeah. al- he's allowing himself to, first off, he's allowing himself to be silly, which is a, not they're, something they're, Joel does. They're bonding over diarrhea jokes. It's great. But when do we, have, when do we ever seen Joel allow himself to be silly for a minute? Not, not yeah, a bit. Not I mean, at all. Closest we had before this episode, before the, uh, before that scene was him responding with the other half of the outstanding in the field, you know, with, with respect to the scarecrow joke. That was even him showing a little bit of levity, but now that he's straight up laughing rather than just smiling quietly, the man's turning a corner, very much in spite of himself. I think that's that's deserving the best line of the episode for the reasons you just said. I think that it it outlines what I think will be, you know, I mean, if you like the show, like the plot, great. But I also think that for people like me who aren't super into the post-apocalyptic stuff, this is the this is the little thing for us, right? This is the this is the the, the branch, the olive branch for folks like me. Like it's like this relationship with these two that. I think anybody who's a fan of just like storytelling and television has to appreciate. I really think they're doing a great job with it. And we end at a point where they're very close. And then of course, you know, we have the, the immediate concern, the the cliffhanger into the next episode. But I think what they're doing here with the storytelling is what I like to call a technical term here, Spencer, a faux cliffhanger where oh. um, it seems like they're in a lot of trouble. And I think within minutes of the next episode, we'll learn that they're not. Yeah. If this wasn't HBO, this would be the commercial brick. Like, you know, oh, building the tension, building tension. Okay. And now let's talk about Levi's jeans kind of thing. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's that bad. But we'll see. We shall see. All right. Let's go to familial moment of the episode. Well, jo- jokes, jokes. Oh, jokes, jokes, jokes. Let's do it. Joe, I've written them all down. What I want I want to hear you you maybe our audience members, maybe they don't, but this man here used to do stand up comedy. He is our go to professional what? expert on the subject of humor and jokes. And I want to hear his professional opinion on these puns. I'll tell you anybody who's listened to this podcast for a while would have a very hard time believing that. <laughs> I adhere to this. What I, what I have said, but let's go through. Uh, number one, it doesn't matter how much you push the envelope. It'll still be stationary. <laughs> number two, it just, this was like just an off one, but the fact the book is n- n- labeled as volume two, T O O. Get it. We'll flag it. Get yeah. it. Uh, why did the mermaid wear her, what did the what did the mermaid wear in a math class? An algae bra. I stayed up all night wondering where the sun sun went, and then it dawned on me. Uh, why did the scarecrow get an award because he was outstanding in his field? And finally, did you know that diarrhea is hereditary? Yeah, it runs in your genes. I think I gotta go with diarrhea hereditary runs in your genes because there's multiple puns in the sentence. That is a good call. Yeah, it, it is complicated. Runs, it runs mm-hmm. in your genes. Two runs and genes are two different puns. So I think that's. I think if that wins, it's a more clever joke. I think algebra is too shoehorned. That one's mm-hmm. that one's too shoehorned in. Um, and I think that the scarecrow one's too obvious. We've all heard that one before. So that's my uh, my very technical analysis of the 
the puns. I'm not. I I think we're gonna get more puns before this show's over. I I hope we do. She's got an entire book of the things. I venture to bet. Uh, now, sir, shall we go to most familial parental, however else we describe it, moments of the episode? Familial moment of the episode. Yes, I am very ready to talk about this. Um, I think the last scene has to be a real big one, but I think that we also could nominate when she shoots the guy. Yeah. Um, kind of crazy to say a familial moment of the episode is such a violent act, but like she saves Joel's life. Yeah, I, I think her saving Joel's life and then Joel trying to reach out to her to deal with any pain, trauma, loss, whatever other emotion she's feeling as a result of doing that is a combined familial moment. She saves him, cares about him enough to do that. Sure, maybe we could write it off as self-interest, just, you know, because she has to have a guardian and protector to make it through. But then him reaching out and actively trying to see whether she's okay and trying to get her to talk about it. That's a level of caring we've not seen before. And I think it comes straight off like what you noted previously. They get in a car wreck and the first thing he does is check on her without any other thought for himself. So it's a whole route that they're on with respect to the, their respective safeties this episode. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think uh, another moment that we potentially could have is uh, some of the just really small stuff where he's like lifting her into the window and she mm-hmm. doesn't like say, Hey, I'm good. And he's just so shit, shit, shit. Like he's pan- he panics within like two seconds of her not giving a response. Like it's like clear. He's really starting to care about this young girl. Like, I mean, he like he cares about her a lot. Like that's a real tell right away. Oh yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll offer one that is both, it will both work in our world, but I think it's particularly true in universe, him showing her how to hold a gun. Particularly in universe, I can picture that is just like something that a parent would want to teach a child as early as they can hold a gun. You can count on them not shooting their own head off. So the fact that he's making that effort to, you know, see that she understands that he's a gun, see that she's protected, give her advice with respect to it. And not really even question her about how she got the gun either, which they don't have a conversation at that point either. This is a familial moment, even if it's in the process treating her like an adult. Oh, I've got one and I can't believe I didn't say this one. And actually, this is my winner. Please. Familial moment of the episode is when Joel stands watch that night after she goes okay. to bed. I was going to say that one next. That and is he, on wait, my list. he waits for her to go to bed. All night. Waits for her to go. So he doesn't even want her to see that he's doing it because he doesn't yeah. want her to be scared that he needs to do it. Wait, I mean, that is that is really, that's dad level stuff right there. We get a fun range of different kind of dad related activities. We've got standing watch into the night. We've got fighting to protect each other. We've got checking on emotional trauma. We've got teaching how to use tools to protect yourself going forward in life. And then we also have laughing about poop. It is the full range we get in this episode. Okay. Do you have any more? I, that's all I got for familiar moments. I think we had a, this was a very, the best parts of this episode were the familiar moments between the two. And I think I, you could also stretch in maybe Joel saying that he has to go save his brother. He has to go get him um, because that's a, that's a, you know, we pointed out, you know, Tommy's like almost 50, like this concept that like I, it's my responsibility to go get him that, you know, that might be, that might be something that is seems normal for a lot of folks and family and stuff. But it's not something that every single person who has a sibling or has a cousin they're close with or a mother or father would necessarily do. It It says a lot about where Joel's head is and his motivations. I, I agree. I mean, you know, at the time, and I agree that it comes across as almost being a little bit obsessive or a little bit overly paternalistic. That sure. he's still that much actively searching out for, uh, for Tommy and making sure he's okay at all hours of the day. 
But it does seem to be very much in character for Joel that once you're in his family, as long as he knows you're alive out there, he's never going to leave you behind. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I think we can go to our last segment of the episode, Ethical Questions of the Week. We hand it over to Professor Spencer Spencer. What do you have for us this week? Uh, uh, Mr. Waterfield, chairman of the board that you are, I'm afraid we've had some more HR complaints that we need to have the board addressed to decide what will be our new strategy going forward. I don't like that you start the segment by saying the word HR complaints. That just, I don't, I can't. I I like triggering words for me. I I know know they are. I jump out of the window. Well, I'm afraid that HR has set a meeting on the subject of the many employee issues that have been raised. Uh, The first topic to bring up, which has been highlighted many times, to what degree does the board believe that engaging in crime, be it mild, be it murder, be it all things in between, can be justified to survive? Where does the board stand on that particular issue? Because it's a topic that comes up many times in this episode that in order to survive the apocalypse, Joel, a character that we like, a character we sympathize with, has had to do some fairly heinous things. Do we believe that that either can be excused or justified based on the circumstances in terms of willingness to, you know, violate the rights of others? I think that murder to survive is our default option. It is, I think it's innate in humans to do such a thing. Mm -hmm. I think you have to evolve out of it through religion, through spirituality, through moral compass ethics, I think the people who are not willing to murder to keep living are in some ways more highly evolved than the rest of us. Like, I I feel like we're getting into a Hobbes versus Rousseau debate where Hobbes was the one that viewed inherently that the only thing that's keeping mankind from killing each other is the, is the, is just the veneer of civilization. If that were gone, it'd be murder in the streets. Yeah. Yeah. It was, Actually, you know what? Hobbes uh, is probably a nice precursor to a wonderful television show called Yellow Jackets, where there's a oh dear basketball. You are sharing the you are sharing the ad money. I want half the ad money at this point. Plane crash, Lord of the Flies. It, they tell it very charming. Season one later. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is your view then should we not judge joel with respect to the actions no i think it's i think it's our natural state is to murder to survive to do to to commit any act of violence if we feel threatened i think that's our natural state i think the people who are able to shun that who are able to say i'm not willing to participate in this even if it means my own death to me are more evolved and people to revere in, in my just my opinion because I think that's a that's a thing you have to evolve past to get to, and it, and obvious obviously we would be better if everyone was like that. We're not, and so it's this sort of like race to the bottom thing. But the people who are willing to say I'm not I'm not going to do this, you can go ahead and kill me if you want to, and are willing to exit stage left over it. Those are people I really look up to. And and depending how we view the world, if we're adhering to Lord of the Flies and William Golding, those individuals, the piggies as you were, get crushed by giant rocks. Point pushed off by people who sharpened sticks on both ends. They don't always fear well in apocalyptic scenarios, partly because they're willing to die for the sake of their morals. Mm-hmm. And whatever you do, when you make it off the island, you don't talk about it years later. You never talk about it. Of course not. Absolutely not. Definitely not. So it seems that the board then is endorsing these efforts. If anything, viewing them as the natural human norm, that we've gotten back to a much more base human state in the, in, in the apocalyptic world. I don't. I, I mean, I don't know that it's 
not all that different from right now. I think uh, the the vast majority of probably Americans, if this is a society I know best, would tell you that if someone is breaking in their home, threatening their children, et cetera, they would probably kill them. Um, I, think, I think most people... The, the law wouldn't deem that a crime. We should deem it an excusable crime under the circumstance. Justifiable homicide, as they say. Right. I think most people would say that that is something they'd be willing to do. If they, a person was threatened, their property, their their family were threatened, that they would, they'd be willing to commit an act of violence. So I don't, I don't think it's that much what? different from our current society. I think there's just a lot more opportunities to do it. How about, how about, how about more than we, what we see in this episode, or even just like a Jean Valjean kind of scenario? What if you're just hungry? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is a version of what we just talked about. It's a threat to your person. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're you're dying. The person won't give you food. You feel like you have to take it from them in order to continue surviving. I think that that is a natural human instinct to do. I think in order to get to a point we don't do that, you have to evolve. I understand. This, this explains why our corporation has been so successful in hostile takeovers, I must say. We adhere to these kind of principles of a dog-eat-dog kind of world. Big eat the weak. Continuing on in that trend, second question that our employees are very much curious about, must the revolution be civilized? We see here revolutionaries who have overthrown what we've seen before in Boston was a despotic system are now themselves behaving what must be fairly said somewhat despotically. Do we believe that a revolution is in any way justified in acting as hostily, as severely, as brutally as the same people they've overthrown as part of the process of doing so? I, uh, what is that, uh, that quote be when searching for the devil, beware, you don't become the devil or something. There's some sort of literary person who, who wrote that. Yeah. I'll um, look that one up. I've I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, was the same guy who wrote metamorphosis? I think said that. Look, sorry, look, look, quote right now. Uh, so I think that that's something that we, it's a natural inclination to do. So again, I think it's something that is, uh, I want to say excusable, but understandable. I would say that most of the time, the way that I've read about revolutions and seen the few that have happened in my lifetime, but but read about them is that they start from a very relatable, understandable place. I'm being oppressed. I'm being mistreated. The society isn't X, Y, Z. They do a heroic thing. They go through a period of transition where there are a lot of problems with overreach, mm-hmm. doing things like torturing the, the the defeated, stuff like that. And then they level out. So I think it's sort of this natural flow of we're oppressed, we're mistreated, we have a right, we have a moral obligation to revolt. We do, we succeed, we become the enemy for a period, and then we level out. And I think that hopefully that's what would happen here if this this lovely uh, retired volleyball player would get out of power because I don't think she's the, I don't think she's the winner for everybody. And I think that's part of the problem is that there's a tendency among violent revolutions to descend to having of the volleyball player as the boss or someone even equally more brutal. And I don't know whether they get beyond that point or just descend into more and more cycles of revolution and more and more diamonds and more and more devastation. Once it becomes established as being the norm, Uh, it is a, a disturbing trend. It is a very common trend. It is a sad trend of where re- the, re- the revolution is not ever civilized. If anything, it just makes it that there, there is no civilization left to civilize. Yeah. I think that, I think that's kind of how, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that the, what they're exploring here is that <clears throat> when humans feel threatened, um, this world that we sit like with the world that we're seeing now 
exists because humans don't feel threatened on a day-to-day basis, right? If people did feel threatened for their lives on a day-to-day basis and casual interactions, going out to the grocery store, et cetera, our world would look completely different. Like what would be morally acceptable would be completely different. And that's why the bigger threat here for Joel in a lot of these places are the people as opposed to the infected. And that that's the mo- that's obviously to me the more interesting part of this is like you've got very few people left, very few resources left, but you're still fighting amongst yourself. What does that say about us as humans, right? Like what does that say about our our base like natural uh, natural state. It's not, it's not a good commentary, Spencer. That we're going to fight over that last bone of the world as we're still gnawing on it. That it, it is a negative outlook on mankind and one that I can't necessarily say is inaccurate. One more yeah. positive thing I just want to mention before I forget about it. The, did you recognize the, the song that was being played over the, uh, the credits, by the way? No. It's, it's the song True Faith, and it's a song that is very memorable from the video game because this is very much Ellie's song. It's a song that I almost almost thought they brought Ashley Johnson back, the uh, actress who voices Ellie in the video game, to sing it. But I looked it up and it was not her. But wanted to highlight that fact. It's a song I like and it's one that very much is a important in the video game. But mm-hmm. I was just going to say that like this, this concept that man can never get past the need, the crabs in a barrel thing. Man can never get past the like jealousy of others, the desire for power the you have what I want, so I'm going to try to take it warring aspect. Uh, one of the reasons I love Tolkien so much, right? Because in Tolkien's world, uh, he has men. Men is a Man is a race among other types of race. And that is something that plagues man throughout the first, second, and third histories of Middle Earth is that they cannot get past this need to want to take and take and take and need to get one over on their neighbor. And we're seeing that kind of play out in this world too. Yeah, and it's one of the things, some people, sometimes people like to criticize Tolkien as being, oh, you very much racist or species that, you know, it's just all your genetics that decides how powerful you are or whatever else. And I always thought that the fallibility, the ego, the willingness to view your, the willingness to just take from others just based on the ability to do so is one of the most common flaws you see in characters regardless of their power levels. And that is abundantly clear among the, among mankind. The race of men, the race of men of the West Supposedly most powerful, most gifted, most far-sighted of men fell with their own hubris just due to their willingness to try to always take from those around them. So I think it's an inaccurate summary that people often do towards Tolkien. But I think we've reached the end of this episode, sir. That is the last of the ethical questions for the board this time. The HR, for those that are always wondering, the HR box is always available. Please submit your complaints. We will run them through. We will run them through the board here, episode by episode, as new issues come up. I don't like that this is HR thing. We got to stop that somehow. If you'd please submit it in triplicate. Uh, If you'd also talk to your local HR representative, we have available services available there. And the board is here for you. You're being billed as a lawyer here. Like lawyers... Lawyers don't work in HR. They don't, HR didn't pay enough. Like they, that's, no, but we 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 look into HR complaints. I assure you. Yeah, you, well, that's true. You do get you do get brought in when when certain things occur. Yeah, but you're not. You don't work in HR. We got to stop. We, I'll figure something else out. Okay, let's go with concluding <laughs> thoughts of the episode. I would tell you what I thought. Like as evidenced by the fact we're only we've stretched it as much as we can. Shit, I was asking you if you like Chef Boyardee, and I was doing all kinds of stuff to stretch this. We're only an hour and thirty minutes into the podcast. It was a short episode. It was a short episode. There wasn't a lot of meat on the bone. Like I understand we had an oversized episode one, oversized episode three, but like it doesn't almost seem enough. It didn't seem almost enough to me to even stand like to be an episode. Like I think they needed to grab, like grab a few more scenes from episode five maybe and toss it in there. It it didn't seem like enough to even constitute an episode to me. 
I don't know how long episode five is going to be. They probably released that. I don't know yet. But I almost suspect that during replays on HBO in the future, uh, they may play these just as a two-parter back-to-back. This did not feel entirely complete. We were introduced to storylines. We were introduced to a setting. Took the ones that they added in that weren't in the video game anyway. And we only got a very limited amount of the way through them. I, I, I think we don't have enough compl- a complete enough of a view of Kansas City to judge it at this point. From what we saw, the overarching plot line, I think, is at this point not entirely satisfactory because it's not entirely done. Uh, as for the individual moments, I thought those were very well done. The building relationship between Joel and Ellie has been executed quite well. The ba- their banter, their jokes, their growing bond, all of that is a delight to see. As you said, you'd love it you, you'd, you'd love it even more if it wasn't in this medium. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a that's a fair assessment of my, my belief. I mean, it's a well done show, well done writing, well acted. A um, lot of mo- lot of tender moments, a lot of stuff I care about, but it, it, all of the trappings around it. You know, it's like you got you got a you got the best furniture I've ever seen, but your house is a disaster. Like I just don't. <laughs> what it's contained in is not my favorite, mm-hmm. but I'm glad people like it. I'm glad you like it. My question to you, as we conclude, we have a little extra time here. We know, we're nowhere near sure. our normal limit. Is um, do you like? So you played the video game. Played the first video game, yeah. I, you, I, I you know about it. some events in Last Last of Us too. Yeah. You enjoyed the video game, correct? I did. Do you think this is living up to the video game? And what does it say for you about where we're going with video game adaptations? It gives me a lot of hope that there's going to... The biggest problem has been with video game adaptations in the past is that they didn't try. They didn't give it the budget. They didn't give it the quality writing. They didn't give it the quality production so that it ever could succeed. It was inevitable that they were going to fail. It's inevitable they were going to be a B-movie cheese. They also commonly just adapted things that didn't have a story or, you know, a cinematic feel to adapt. The fact that they picked The Last of Us, which was a perfect game to adapt, the fact that they're working with the people that originally made the game, that they brought in quality people to work, how couldn't they succeed? It shows confidence in being able to adapt video games by quality people with a quality budget. That's always going to succeed going forward, and let's hope that this one sticks to landing enough that people are confident in that. Straight there with you. I've played the video game once. I don't even own a PlayStation anymore. I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. It was a fun experience. I loved the relationship dynamic between Joel and Ellie. And I, from that background of, you know, fading memories, enjoying the feel of it, I'm liking this. I'm recognizing when, sh- some, when some of the changes occur. I'm recognizing some differences in tone, obviously even setting for cities, whatever else. But I'm not minding them as much because I haven't lived and breathed the game for years. I feel like one of the biggest problems in terms of enjoying an adaptation is how lockstep, unyieldingly loyal you are to the original medium, the original story in any way whatsoever. If you can't accept any changes, or if even the slightest difference, like the fact that it's in Kansas City rather than Pittsburgh just makes you write off the episode, there's no hope for you in terms of enjoying an adaptation. They're going to have to make changes. They're going to have to make adjustments. It's the nature of how they do the medium. So long as they aren't worse, so long as they not, you know, interfere with aspects of the plot, so long as they're not changes they don't think about how they might ripple out later accommodate them go with them i'm able to do so i'm able to deal with these changes hell i, I thought episode three was one of the finest bits of television i've seen despite Agreed. the fact that it was just a non-stop series of changes going throughout the entire episode because it was well done it was obviously set in the world it was obviously doing a take on the characters a very different take but a take it hit the same necessary notes for the message to convey to joel 
that's what a quality adaptation can do. It can take liberties. It can take adjustments while still being true to it. I'm in it. I'm with it. Changes will be made. Changes have been made. A couple of left me a little bit worried at times, but I've been confident in what they've seen, helped by the fact that the guys that made the video game are doing this too. It's hard, it's hard to even call it an adaptation by different people because it isn't. Mm, yeah. But I will say that online, in the reviews, among the people that are the most critical are the people that are most diehard loyalist about the video game. At least that's the complaint. It's always that way. It's always that way. I mean, you, you it, same you, for books. You, you same hate, for you hate rings of power. Why? Because you've read the appendix to Lord of the Rings seven times and you think, I you know, how to make the show better than them. It's the same thing. Everybody deals with. I deal with the same. Look, I'm, <laughs> there I'm, are other reasons for that one. Like I, I'm, I'm the same. Like, you know, I, I'm hypercritical of, of a lot of stuff that I love. It's, it's pretty common, I think, but I, I, your point's well taken about their ability to deviate and the freedom they have and how that worked really well on episode three. I will say just as a layman, I don't play these like playthrough video games. The video games I play are I play sports games and that's it. Mm-hmm. As a, a layman's perspective is that it seems to me like when they've tried to adapt these video games in the past, there's been a disrespect for the video game medium as storytelling and they sure. don't they don't pull from it as true source material in but, the way that say, I don't know, something like game of Thrones pulled from the books in the early seasons, right? Mm-hmm. They're not, they, they think that they have to make their own story. It has to be like based on, but they have to radically retell like something like, Hey, how halo did it. Right. Sure. Why not just tell the story that's in the video? That's what people like. Tell that retell that story for dopes like me who don't play these games. I'm with you. I mean, they have to, they always have to make certain changes part of adaptation because the experience of how you experience a video game is going to be inherently different from the experience of television. Sure. But at a base core, if people love the game and love the story and love the characters, you've got a golden goose right there already. Why, why, why paint it a different color? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think they're doing some of that. I mean, like, especially this episode, which I think was short and shortchanging and not worthy of a full episode of this type of television. <laughs> I do think that there were moments where they were obviously pulling straight from the video game that people have called out on social media that I think were some of the strongest parts of the episodes. That tells me that like, tell the story, like there's a reason that last of us is this huge video game that sold all these millions of copies and has all these fans. It's because the story they're telling is worthy of telling. So tell that story. You don't have to like radically change it. I hope they do more of that with some of these video games that have been popular over the years. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Okay. I think that's it. I think we've stretched it as long as we can stretch it to an hour and 40 minutes. We're done here. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back with you next week. We'll be back with you early because there is a little thing called the Super Bowl coming less next Sunday. HBO has no desire to run up against the Super Bowl. They're going to relate. Call. They're going to actually release a weird thing they're doing. They're going to actually release the episode on streaming like Friday morning or something like very a la Disney. I think it'll air sometime Friday on actually HBO Network. So Spencer and I will be able to watch it Friday, Saturday. We'll probably do the pod sometime Saturday, Sunday and have it out well before Monday morning. So if you want to listen Mm -hmm. to us on your morning commute, if you have one, the pod will be there for you. That is our plan. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you want to make sure you continue listening to Spencer and I when The Last of Us is over, you can go ahead and flip over to the Line of line of Succession podcast feed. That's where we review Succession episode by episode. We've done season two, one, two, and three, right? I think, or maybe two and three. No, we did one, we, two, we, and three. We, one, two, and three, yeah. We've done one, two, and three of Succession, and we are going to do four over on the Line of Succession podcast feed. That one's a lot of fun. Thanks, Spencer. Appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. This has been a lot of fun, and we'll be, we'll be back with you next week. 